Lord, thank you so much for this morning, and thank you for this opportunity we have to open your word, God. Lord, we are grateful, Lord, for bringing us here. And Lord, it's, it's not by chance we're all sitting here today, God. Lord, it's not by chance that we are worshiping you with the songs we did and the words and the songs. It's not by chance, Lord, that we're sitting here with our Bibles open, ready to hear from you. God, you've brought us here. You've drawn us here. And we, Lord, want to hear from you. And Lord, I pray that each person would leave here with one word from you, God. Or with you speaking to them into their lives, into their heart, God. With encouragement or conviction. Or Lord, that you would empower us, Lord, to live our lives for you. No longer for ourselves anymore. So, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would touch and bless this time. Anoint it, God, as you do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One woman was waiting for her very first appointment at this new dental office. And she noticed on the wall there was this diploma. And uh, the credentials of the dentist was sitting there on the wall. And she suddenly recognized his name. And... Uh, he was really her, the name that she recognized was like her high school crush. And it had been like more than even 45 years. Yet she still remembered him, this tall, handsome, dark-haired uh, boy in her mind, she imagined. And she's wondering, could this really be the same boy, she thought to herself. Well, her anticipation quickly faded when the dentist entered the room. Measuring up this man, she found that he was old, like bald with a little bit of gray hair on the edges. His face was weathered, and his body was the opposite of that buff and trim boy that she remembered. This man was way too old-looking to have been her classmate, yet she was curious. So after the exam, she asked him, did you happen to attend Jackson High School? He said, why, yes, I'm a proud Mustang. She asked him, when did you graduate? He said, oh, it was in 1970. Well, she couldn't believe it. It was him. She shouted, do you remember me? You were in my class. To which the dentist replied, really? What class did you teach? <laughs> well, sometimes... How you measure up someone is not the same how you measure yourself, right? Well, as we continue our study in the book of 2 Corinthians, Apostle Paul validates his ministry and his authority against all the accusations of the false teachers. Paul shows us the right way of really measuring up the minister. And so that's the title of our message this morning, Measuring Up. The minister. We're going to be studying 2 Corinthians chapter 10 from verse 7 through 18. And our outline this morning is this. Number one, the worldly criteria. Number two, the given confines. And number three, the proper credit. Let's begin here. Number one, the worldly criteria. The worldly criteria. Take a look with me here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 7. Paul writes here, do you look at things according to the outward appearance? 
If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. Well, we begin here with the Apostle Paul putting out this question as he's writing this letter to the Corinthian believers. He says, as he's asking them, do you guys look at just the outward appearance? In other words, do you, do you just go by what you see on the surface? Is that the way you guys operate? He's kind of putting out there. Do you do really what the false teachers do, sizing me up without hearing my heart or finding out who I really am? See, Paul exposes a problem with the troublemakers in the Corinthian church. Now, we've, I mentioned this last time. In this last four chapters of 2 Corinthians, Paul confronts the accusations of the false teachers who have infiltrated the Corinthian church. They attack, really, his integrity, his character, his motives, his credibility. And though many in the church have seen through their deceit, some still are being fooled into believing the lies of the false teachers. Now, if you are here with us last time, remember Paul asked the Corinthians to not allow what they're saying, their poison, you know, to go into their minds and, and, and taint how, he, how they see Paul. For he says, in the believer's walk, we saw this last time, it's really the battle for the mind. And, and that was the title of our message last time, the battle for the mind. Here, Paul moves on to help the Corinthian believers see what a godly minister is really like in uh, uh, speaking against the attacks on him. And it really starts with exposing what the false teachers really hold to. And Paul throws this out with this question. They make their case based on surface assumptions. Now, the worldly criteria, and that's the heading in our outline, is the opposite of what the Lord really even told Samuel in picking David for king. You remember in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it said, For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Paul puts it out, are you operating like those guys? Just the outward appearance? Just, just looking on the outside, surface things? Well, the false teachers are even saying this now. The false teachers are saying that Paul does not come in the name of, of Christ. So here in verse 7, he goes on to say this. Paul writes, if anyone of the false teachers claims he is in Christ's name, let him also consider that just as he did, even so we come in Christ's name too. In other words, we, or Paul's, Paul and his ministry team, can make that same claim that, hey, what they're saying, hey, we come in Christ's name. We have his authority. We're, 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 we're our spiritual leaders. Well, Paul, Paul's like, well, we can say the same thing. If you guys want to look at what we're saying, we can say the same claim with our words too. You remember in verse 2 at the end of, of here in chapter 10, Paul wrote how some were accused him of walking, and we see here, according to the flesh in his ministry, saying he was using worldly methods, he was carnal, he was operating on sinful desires. Well, they were essentially saying, see, Jesus is not with Paul. Paul's like, look, are you just going to 
go by these things, these things these guys are saying? Are you going to take what they say and look at me on the surface saying, yeah, Paul, Paul, Jesus isn't with Paul on this outward appearance type of thing? Verse 8, he says here, For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed. Paul goes on here in verse 8. He's, he's saying, I can boast or, or I can push more and talk about my authority I have and as apostle, which the Lord gave us, which the Lord gave me. I mean, he's not saying he's self-appointed here. He's not. He's saying, look, I'm not ashamed here. I shall not be ashamed at the end of verse 8 to wield my authority, just to, to push that. He's saying, hey, when, when I do that, though, know this. If I do that, it will be. And I love this, what he's saying in the middle of verse 8, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction. If I push my authority, it's for edification. It's not to destroy you. You see, the last thing Paul wanted was self-promotion. He could never, be, as he lives before the Lord, misuse his authority. One pastor said this, Rather than bully the Corinthians, Paul built them up. His goal was to encourage, not exploit. And if you can read between the lines, Paul is really addressing what the false teachers are. They're coming in. Well, like, hey, Paul's, Paul, Paul's not a, a real apostle. Jesus isn't with him. Jesus is with us. And they come in forcefully into the church, bringing in their doctrines, putting down Paul, accusing him. But Paul's like, look, I can, I can do that too. But understand, if I come in, I'm not going to misuse my authority like that. He, he's like, look, I will come to build the church up, not to take it down. You can tell who really is real or who, is, who the fake one is. See, false teachers, they bring in that accusations. And what do the accusations do? Divide the church. It destroys that unity in the church. But real ministers, and that's what Paul is saying, you know, real guys who are following the Lord, they bring the truth that unifies and makes the church more healthy and stronger. Boy, that puts, it, puts thoughts in my mind like, you know, do we operate like the false teachers or do we operate like Paul? Is our words, our actions, what do they do? Do they divide relationships or do they unify relationships? Sometimes it's, we get into our emotions and, and, and it drives us to where we say things that divide our relationships. Paul's saying, hey, a real minister, if you're really in the Lord, no, it's for edification. The authority is given in that way. Verse 9, Paul goes on and says, Lest I seem to terrify you by letters. For his letters, they say, verse 10, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. So here, here Paul's going on. He's saying, you know, some say, are saying they feel like I terrify them with my letters. I mean, I come down hard. They say that my letters are weighty or like demanding and powerful or like forceful. Now, I mentioned before that between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, there is another letter that scholars and Paul had mentioned we saw earlier in 2 Corinthians where he, he got straight with them. Yeah, he exhorted them, and he wrote a really strong letter confronting the sin 
and much of the sin that we studied in 1 Corinthians. So they're saying, yeah, he's real, he's real scary by letter. But you know what? When he's here in his bodily presence, he's weak. And his speech contempt, contemptible. That word contemptible here in Greek means worthless. He's, he's, he's nothing. In other words, you know, when you see him, he's, he's like this weak, wimpy guy. And when he talks, oh, he's not some public speaker. That's what they say. Critics said Paul may talk big with the pen, but in person, he's like this tongue-tied wimp. I was thinking about this, you know, how, how uh, sometimes you'll hear someone's voice before you see them, what they look like. I, I remember before the internet or social media nowadays, you know, I remember seeing this speaker at this conference for the first time that I'd been listening to him for a long time on the radio. And, you know, you have this picture in your mind of what they look like. But when you see them, sometimes you can be surprised. What, that's a guy? You know, you think he was like the Mr. Incredibles guy or something, you know. Some say they have what you call a radio face. You know what that is? A face that's good for the radio. You get that? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. That's what these guys are saying about Paul. That's what they're saying about him. And there's some truth to that. There's an early Christian writing from the second century that describes the Apostle Paul as, I quote, a man of small stature. He was short. With a bald head, crooked legs, with eyebrows meeting, unibrow, and a nose somewhat hooked. So he wasn't like this greatest person to, to look at. Some of you say, hey, that sounds like my uncle. I'm glad you didn't say your auntie. No, just joking. Along with that, Paul even, you know, made some comments about himself, right? We studied this back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse 3 to 5. He wrote this, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech, my preaching, were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So you can see what's going on here. These false teachers took these outward appearances, these surface things about Paul. You can see how they attacked his appearance in verse 7. They attacked his authority in 7 through 8 because of all this. They attacked how he addresses people. Well, then Paul says this to those who are believing the false teachers. Look at verse 11. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when we are absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. Paul's not some pushover. He, he will back up his word. That's what he's saying. What he wrote, he's going to back up with deed in action when he's present. In other words, he, he's like, if you want tough, I'll bring tough. And if you think about Paul, if you know anything about him and his history, right, he. Remember Paul, his life, he, he, he gets persecuted, he's beaten, he gets arrested. He's been through all the trenches, but did he wimp out? No, he kept going, didn't he? Didn't he? He's not some wimp here. So he's like, don't be mistaken. If I have to take care of business, I will do what God calls me to do. It's kind of like that Christmas song. I know it's early. 
But you better watch out, right? You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. With the authority of God, the apostle Paul is coming to town. <laughs> but that's what, you know, that's the feeling that he's putting out here. Verse 12. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Paul is saying, look, when I'm come, I'm not going to, to be like my opponents, my critics here. He says, I don't class. Another word for us today would be, I don't categorize myself with certain groups like the false teachers do. Now, we believe that these, these false teachers were what we call Judaizers. There are these Jews coming in, bringing in the law. you got to do this. Yeah, Jesus Christ is good, but Paul's wrong. you still got to follow things in the law. And so they thought they were superior to the Corinthians because they were Gentiles, right? And, and they, they thought, well, we're in a different class. Paul said, I don't categorize myself in that way. I don't come in like that. Or I don't compare, he says, ourselves or myself with those who commend themselves. Who are those who commend themselves? The false teachers. They're the ones who go around talking like they're great. They have the authority. The, Jesus is with them. The Lord is with them. They go around like that. Paul's like, I'm not going to compare myself with them. I'm not going to try and argue how much better he is compared to them. Paul's like, I'm not playing that worldly, carnal game. That's what the world do. That's what they do. This is the worldly criteria. This is the worldly way. Measuring themselves with each other. Comparing themselves with each other. Criticizing others. Yeah? Because, hey, I'm better. Those words coming out. Those thoughts coming out. Well, Paul says at, at the end of uh, verse 12, he says, well, all that is not wise. It's so dumb. That's what he's saying. They measure on a human scale, focusing on this outward surfacey stuff. But he says, look, for me, it's the Holy Spirit who measures us through the word of God, focusing on the inward, the heart. Paul is saying, my mindset is on God's standards. I don't operate that way. It's not if I'm better than them in my eyes. It's not comparing myself to others. That's not the way. A minister operate, operates. You know, it makes me think about, remember when Jesus spoke about the Pharisee and the tax collector who went to the temple, right? In Luke 18, they went to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee was in the temple. He looked over at the tax collector and he prayed, God, thank you. I'm not like extortioners, unjust people, adulterers, and even this tax collector. No, I fast twice a week and give my tithes regularly. That was, that was his prayer to the Lord. What was he doing? Comparing himself to the tax collector and feeling really good about himself, right? That he was better. His standard was, hey, I'm better than him, so I'm great. Measuring himself up with the tax collector. But then Jesus says the tax collector prayed, even without even raising his head up in humbleness, in humility, in brokenness. He said, God, he prayed, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. What did the tax collector do? He compared himself to the holiness of God. So here's what Paul is saying here in this section. Paul's criteria is not based 
on the outward things or by comparing himself to others to look better. Paul's criteria is not based on the outward things or by comparing himself to others to look better. It's not the surfacey thing. I read about this church, which was by this particular road, and almost daily someone drove by and they would throw their empty beer bottles into the churchyard. Well, it was a youth pastor's job who was on staff there to take care of the ground. So every morning he would go and collect the beer bottles and dump them into his, his trash can in his office. Well, one Sunday, one of the ushers put, pulled the senior pastor aside and said, I need to talk to you. And he whispered, I think the youth pastor has a drinking problem. I keep finding beer bottles in his trash can. Well, you can see how one might jump to those conclusions, right? That's what the Corinthian believers are doing. They are taking surface assumptions of the false teachers, and they are jumping to Corinthians, and many of them believe what they are saying. Paul's like, hey, do you just look at the outward appearance? Hey, at least this usher didn't gossip and spread rumors, but he came directly to the pastor and addressed this. And really, that's what the Corinthian believers should have done with Paul. But many were fooled into the false teacher's game. They went by this worldly criteria, just looking on the outside, right? They went by, oh, yeah, oh, look at him. I don't do that. Oh, yeah, right? The false teachers used this criticism of Paul to build themselves up so they could look better and have more authority. But Paul's like, hey, that's not how I operate. I'm not going to come in and, and play that game. My criteria is not based on these outward things or by comparing myself to them to look better. No, that's not what I do. How about you today? Is that how you operate? I mean, by way of application, as we look at this passage, I mean, we could be like the false teachers, right? Easily just looking at the appearance and, and criticizing, you know, looking at someone and going, oh, look at that. Shaking your head and, and doing that thing, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. How can they do that, right? How can Paul be that apostle? Have you ever said that? Have you thought those thoughts? Have you ever gone, right? Does those things? Oh, I would never do what they do. If I were in their place, no, I stand on my convictions. How dare they kind of thing. But, but do you have all the facts, right? Do you know what's really going on behind the scenes? We are so quick in our flesh to make those rash judgments. Or maybe we're on the other side. We're like the Corinthian believers, and we hear something. And we're like, oh, oh, yeah. We don't have all the facts, but oh, in our minds, like, oh, yeah, really, really. Don't tell me more. Don't tell me more. Right? And, and you're like, oh, don't tell. What? What? You know what happens? I think this is what, I I'll tell you what happens. Because I'm thinking about myself. You know, either we've been hurt ourselves or, or, or maybe we, we've been poisoned. We're, we heard a little tidbit or something. So then you find out this news, and then, and then you, oh, yeah, look at that. And then you, you start putting things together without all the facts. And, and all of a sudden you're like, mm-hmm, yeah. And especially if you've been hurt, what? You're like, 
Yeah, see? See? I knew it. I knew it. Because you've been hurt by them. All of a sudden, yeah, this validates you. And all of a sudden, you're like, yeah, vengeance, right? All of a sudden, retaliation is all part of those emotions and everything going on inside of you. And then, and then you turn the screws, and you're like, yeah. And you're glad they're failing before God. Isn't that what we do sometimes? We cannot be like the world goes or the worldly criteria, how we look at things. Be careful because that's not really of God. And know that your emotions, your thoughts, even your own heart that's deceitfully wicked can betray you. And we put these filters on our eyes and everything they do after that is dirty, is wrong, is bad. Let me ask you, and this is what I ask myself. Are those things, these words, these thoughts, what's in mind, is that really of the spirit? Or is that the flesh talking here? Is this information really helpful or destructive? Right? The false teachers, they use their authority to bring that destructive. Paul, look, I can bring my authority, but it's going to be to edify, to build up, to help. In reality, all this is the way the false teachers are operating. Paul's like, no way. That's not me. My criteria is not based on outward things or by comparing myself to others to look better. I don't do what they do. That's the worldly criteria. Well, let's move on here to number two, the given confines, the given confines. Measuring up the minister, first we see Paul exposes the worldly criteria. And number two, the given confines. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you. Verse 14. For it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. Now, here Paul says that he will, in verse 13, he will not boast, like talk about his ministry in, a bo- in like a strong way beyond measure or beyond his borders of his authority of an apostle given to him by God. So he says, look, I stay within the limits of the sphere of ministry which God appointed us or God appointed him to do. Which, he says, especially includes you guys. It's you Corinthian believers. It's, you're part of my sphere of ministry. Remember in Acts 9.15, God had uh, called Paul to first be, go to the Gentiles and be a witness. And in Romans 11.13, Paul was called to be, the, he said, I've been called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Well, this is this Corinthian church. It's, it's what God has called them to do as an apostle. So then in verse 14, Paul is not... He's saying, I'm not overextending. I'm not going to go beyond what God authorized me to do when I speak to you Corinthian believers. Matter of fact, he says, it, it was to you guys, the Corinthians, that we shared the gospel, that I came. Paul was actually the one God used to lead them to Jesus Christ. Paul was the one who planted that church. Paul was there for 18 months, a year and a half, with them, growing and establishing the church. So in other words, he's their spiritual leader 
So Paul's ministry, his authority as an apostle over them was because God called them to go to Corinth and preach the gospel. The false teachers were attacking Paul, saying, he's not a real apostle. He shouldn't be your leader. He's not your pastor. We are. We are the ones who should be, you should be listening to. But Paul's writing, look, that my spiritual leadership over you comes from what God has given me. From the sphere of ministry God has put me in. From the given confines or the boundaries that God had assigned him. You know what's interesting here in verse, uh, what was this, verse 13. What's interesting here, the, 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 word, the phrase actually, l- limits of the sphere. The idea really comes from the Greek games. It comes from the idea of, of staying in the lane. The lanes that were allotted for runners to race in. The Corinthian believers will really understand that for the Isthmian games, or like the Olympics, were, were held there in Corinth. And they would know that if a runner stepped in another one's lane, they would be disqualified. So really Paul is like relating to what they know, saying, look, I'm running in my lane, not someone else's. I'm not coming in here and like uh, stepping on someone's toes with their ministry. No, this is, this is the lane God's given me. This is the given confines. Then he adds this in verse 15. Not boasting of things beyond measure. In other words, I, I'm not going to bring my authority and cross over the, the lane. That is, and then he says, concerning in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. Paul's saying, look, I'm not going to step in authority like, like in another person's ministry or another person's things that they're doing and take any credit in other men's labors. That's what they did. God used them. But as the Corinthian believer's faith increases, he says, his fears ministry actually will enlarge. Like when their church grows, uh, grows more and gets larger or more people come to Christ through them. That's all part of Paul's fear. What he, you know, they, they come under his authority in that fact that well, God has sent him there and started all that. So Paul's like, look, my goal is unlike the false teachers who are coming and staking claim on that church on the Corinthian believers. Paul's like, I'm not going to step on another man's fear. I'm not going to step into another man's area, their place where God has called them. And we know that, don't we? When we were in Romans at the end, in chapter 15, verse 20, and th- Paul said this, he, he declared this. And this is the NLT version. But he wrote, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. That was Paul's heart. He's not like these false teachers going in there trying to take over the church and and wrangle it out of Paul's hands. No, he's like, that's not me, you guys. And they accuse me of doing that, but that's what they're doing. But no, I don't want to build on anyone's foundation. I want to go where Christ is and preach. And that's what he did going to Corinth. The false teachers... You know, they only wanted to build up their authority and prestige and power. So, you know what they did? They preyed upon churches already established. They're like the ones coming in. Psst, psst, hey, I'm starting a Bible study over here. You should come to mine. Don't, 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 don't listen to him. Ah, Pastor Rick, he's off. Yeah, I admit, I'm off. But, <laughs> but I try and teach you guys the word. See, 
the difference was the false teacher used the church to build up their authority, while Paul used his authority to build up the church. So here's what Paul is saying in this section. You know, unlike the false teachers, Paul's eyes was fixed on being faithful within the scope of what God had given him to do. Paul's eyes was fixed on being faithful within the scope of what God had given him to do. Almost every day I see my neighbors, this elderly um, couple, that are on the ground weeding their lawn. And little by little, they're conquering their lawn. I, I mean, <coughs> I give it to them. I tell you, though, I, I look over what they're doing. I look over at their lawn. I sort of feel shame as I look at my yard. <coughs> I mean, it's not bad. Oh, where's my drink? <laughs> but I, I seem to notice more weeds, you know, after seeing what they're doing. I guess the saying is true, right? <clears throat> The grass is greener on the other side. <laughs> but Paul's not like that. He's not worried about other people's ministry. He just wants to do his best in what God has given him. Paul's eyes was fixed on being faithful within the scope of what God had given him to do. The false teachers, oh, no, they like what Paul did. They wanted what Paul wanted. They wanted to take that away from him. They were willing to go as far as infringe upon Paul's ministry putting him down, and then taking it for themselves. You know, I think that's a danger for all of us. We, we tend to look over at the other yard, and we get jealous. You know? We then envy what they have, and that leads us down that road with pride and pure selfishness. Then like the false teachers, we want to come in and just take. It's, it's kind of that Absalom syndrome. You remember when he tried to take over his father's kingdom? But you guys, we cannot be like that. We cannot keep looking over. Oh, well, look, 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 look how he is. Yeah? He's so godly. Oh, I, I want to be like that. Or I wish, I wish my ministry was like that. Or I wish what I did would be like that. It's really a temptation of many, many pastors, you know. I'll tell you, sometimes it's hard to go to these pastors' conferences, especially on the mainland, you know, and they talk about, you know, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, how are you doing? Well, how big is your church now? You know, it's kind of like, huh, what? Who cares, you know? What man? Paul, you know, Paul's not like that. Paul's like, no, whatever God you gave me, I want to be faithful within that scope and my sphere that was given confines. Let's be like Paul. Focus on <coughs> serving the Lord in this in the area, in the place, in the arena that he's giving you. That means, like, be faithful, you know? Be faithful to the 10 Keiki kids if you're in Keiki Church, you know? Be faithful to, 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 to the, the kids that come to your class that morning. Sometimes I, I say, like, I tell the guys, like, church, our church is, um, church is like the tide, you know? Sometimes the tide is in. Oh, the chairs are full. Sometimes the tide is out, you know, and their chairs are less. I'm same, right? Kiki Church. Oh, I only had three today. Yeah, so minister to them. Minister to them in a way that God will want you to be. Uh, how about maybe God especially placed you in your workplace, yeah, so that he can use you as a light there. You're more worried about, oh, I don't like this, I don't like that. But I'll tell you, maybe God has you there 
because he wants to use you there. Well, get creative in your workplace. Focus in on the, on the arena, on the scope, of the sphere where God has placed you to serve him. Maybe for you, you pray. You're a prayer warrior, and you're always praying. Well, you know, stay in that sphere. You'd be like, oh, man, I don't know. I don't know how to say this or that. Well, well, God will give you wisdom, but if God wants you to do, pray. Pray for your own family. Pray for your children. Pray for your relatives. The thing is, let's serve the Lord without grumblings, you know. Oh, I don't like this. I don't like serving here. I don't like this. I don't like. Let's do it without grumbling in that place of ministry God has placed you. Don't worry about numbers. Don't worry about, oh, the other guy, you know. Oh, man, I, I, I want to be like Greg Glory. Don't worry. You're not going to be like Greg Glory. But God's going to use you in your own way, in your, through your own heart, through your own testimony to bring Jesus to those right around you. That's why we're here. Just be faithful to your little corner on the earth. That's what, that's what I say. Well, I'm just this, this country preacher here in my little corner here on this island to do what God wants me to do. Don't be discouraged. If you have that heart, if you focus in that way, God will use you greatly. In 1912, this medical missionary, he was actually a a lifetime, that was what God called him to do, Dr. William Leslie, but God moved him from where he was to Central Africa to live and minister in this remote area of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. After 17 years there, he returned from the mission field to the United States, believing that his ministry was a failure, and he died nine years later. But in 2010, a group of missionaries returned to that same part of the Congo where he, he had been uh, ministering it with this surprising discovery. They found a healthy network of Christian churches hidden, they said, like diamonds in the jungle villages. And that was right where Dr. Leslie was stationed those 17 years. This there was a church in each of the eight villages, and they even found a thousand-seat stone church, one of them. And this is what they say. This is what the locals say there. For 17 years, Dr. Leslie fought tropical illness, charging buffaloes, leopards, armies of ants, but he faithfully shared Jesus Christ. Now think about that. Though he felt like hardly anyone came to the Lord. He felt like he had failed. But with what God gave him to do, he faithfully and courageously yeah, kept going and left this legacy that, 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 that brought this revival, great movement into these remote tribes there in the Congo. So in reality, Dr. Leslie was wrong. He, he didn't fail. In his faithful duty, he was successful. Now the world's going to maybe think differently, and I think we tend to think that way. But listen, don't look at other ministries. Don't look at the way the world says. Don't just in your given confines, right? Be faithful in where God has placed you. All right, quickly now, number three, we come to the proper credit. The proper credit. Measuring up the minister, you see, Paul's like, I don't go by the worldly criteria, but I stay within the given confines and I give. He says, we're going to see the proper credit. Number three, the proper credit. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, our last section. To preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. 
Now, Paul's heart is to preach the gospel and take it beyond or farther. He wants to further the kingdom of God in every way, in every place that God leads him and God wants. And he wanted to go where the gospel hadn't been preached, as we read. He, he does not want to boast or take credit by building on another man's fear or their accomplishment. In other words, and, and, and we, we saw this in, in above verses, but Paul's saying, look, I don't want to be like the false teachers. And how they were taking credit for Paul's work. Warren Wiersbe pointed this out in his verse. He wrote, this is another jibe at the Judaizers, these false teachers, who stole other men's converts and claimed them as their own. Then Paul says in verse 17, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Paul then now loosely quotes Jeremiah 9.24. He's like, hey, if anyone is going to get the credit, guess who gets the credit? The Lord. Jesus gets the credit. The proper credit needs to go to the Lord. Perhaps Paul had the previous verse in Jeremiah in mind. Let me read it to you. Jeremiah 9.23 says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, which is all exactly what the false teachers are going, but, and this is what he quotes, let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. It's the Lord who does the work. It's the Lord who brings people to Christ. It's, it's Jesus. It's not someone, some pastor, apostle, or, or any of these false teachers. And then he says this. This is our last verse today. He closes this chapter out in verse 18. And he says, For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. In other words, it doesn't matter who, what you say about your own accomplishments. It doesn't matter if, if you commend yourself, if you approve of yourself. You know what really matters is what the Lord says. The question is, does he approve of it or not? Basically, Paul is saying, look, I don't minister on approval of what the false teachers say. I leave my approval in the hands of God. I'm not going to be all moved by, oh, they're saying this about me. They're saying about whatever. I don't live for that. I live for what God says. I think Paul was even thinking about what we saw early in 2 Corinthians 5, when all believers stand in, in the Bema seat, right, in, uh, or before the Bema seat. Uh, we studied that back then, the judgment seat where Christians will give account on how they live their lives before Jesus. It's where Christians receive their rewards. If you missed that, you can grab the, the CD about that. <clears throat> Paul's maybe saying, well, I'm even thinking it's where, look, God will prove of what I do. That's what I live by. And maybe one, I'll, and, and, and I will hopefully hear one day the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. So Paul's aim is to glorify God as he loyally serves him. That's what he's saying here as we, our last point here this morning. Paul's aim is to glorify God as he loyally serves him. So he doesn't care what they're saying. He lives for the Lord. He's there to glorify God. He gets the credit in everything that he does. President Lincoln once said, You can please some of the people all of the time. You can please all of the people some of the time, but you can't please all of the people all of the time. We've heard that, right? It's so true. You can't make 
everyone happy in ministry. You cannot. But Paul, Paul it's not about pleasing people. It's, it's not about trying to please the Corinthian believers or please the false teachers. No, his ministry, and as he lives as a minister before God, it's about pleasing God. It's about doing what he wants. Look, whatever ministry or whatever your role or duty here on this earth to further the kingdom, whatever that is, your aim is not to please and cater to those who, who you minister to. It's to glorify God. It's to please him. Are you pleasing him? Are you like Paul? Is it your aim to glorify him in everything that you do? Are you loyally serving him that one day when you see him, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. I know what happens. Trials come. Opposition comes. Hardship. It gets hard. Yeah? Persecution. Words are said inside this sphere and the people inside your sphere and the temptation is just to pull back. The temptation is to be pleasing, to adjust your plan. But you got to pray and make sure what you're doing is God's plan. Keep your hand to the plow. Don't look back. Go forward in what God has called you to do. No matter what, false teacher or not, make it your aim to glorify God and loyally serve him where he has you. I like what a minister said. He was called and uh, hired to be the pastor of this church of about 700. On his first Sunday, someone came up to him and asked him how he hoped to please 700 people. Well, he wisely replied this, I don't. I have come to please only one. Amen? Well, as we close, un understand that we are as believers, our service to God is measured by not the outward, not the surfacey thing, but the inward, the inward heart. Our faithfulness to the spear of God, what he's given us, that's how we're measured. How faithful are you to, to whatever ministry he's called you to do? How to serve him? How faithful are you in that place? And our service to God is measured by how we aim to glorify God in what we do and how we loyally serve him. That's what counts here. That's when you're sized up. That's how you're measured. The false teachers, they had that opposite standard. They measured Paul by the outward and all that. And that's why they did not respect and that's why they attacked Paul in his character, because that wasn't in them. Even though they attacked his character, Paul held to these very things that we study today. And I'll tell you, that speaks so loudly that he lived his life that way, that he could say, no, this is what I'm about. It speaks so loudly about Paul and his character and what he, as a minister, is really about. I like to close with this story. John Vassar, he was a missionary and evangelist in the late 1800s or mid-late 1800s. And he would go house to house passing out Christian tracts. matter of fact, I think he was the one of the ones who actually started an American tract society or something like that. <clears throat> one woman who heard about this man and what he was doing made this comment. If he comes to my house, he will get the door slammed in his face. Well, without knowing that or this woman, the next day, Vassar rang her, came and rang her doorbell. And when she saw that it was him, she slammed the door in his face. 
You know what he did? He sat down right there on her doorstep and sang a song with these words. But drops of grief can never repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. He was real. He was real in what he did before the Lord. Well, the woman heard him sing. The woman heard the, the lyrics in this song, and she was convicted. You know what she did? She opened the door, asked, invited him in, which he then led her to accept and receive Jesus Christ. See, in the face of opposition, Vassar's true character shine bright. So it is with Paul. That's what we're seeing in this passage. We're seeing what's inside of him. Not the surfacey things that they're attacking Paul about, but we see these things that, that God had put in his heart and who he is. And like Paul, let us also stay the course where God has placed us. And you know what? As we live this way, that will show our character when others are measuring up the minister. Let's pray. Lord God, we're grateful again, Lord, for your word and how rich it is, Lord. Even a passage like this that it can be first read hard to understand, but as you reveal through your Holy Spirit the truth to us, God, we find great encouragement. We find great power in it, Lord, and freedom that, God, we can keep going. That as we stay the course and we live for you, we live to please you, to glorify you, to be loyal and to faithfully serve you in, in the sphere, in the place you've, you've called us to be as lights, the place where you called us to further your kingdom, Lord. God, we know that we're doing right, no matter if we face opposition. God, help us, Lord. Give us strength and courage today. God, to see your hand in what we do. And Lord, when the, when the <clears throat> ministry gets hard, when it's hard serving you, when we feel like giving up, Lord, help us to keep our eyes on what really matters, Lord. That it's not the numbers, God. It's not none of that. But success is obedience, Lord, to what you have called us to do. If it's one place, if it's two kids, if it's our workplace, whatever that is, Lord. God, we want to be faithful and do what you want. So help us in these areas. And Lord, help our heart, God, to not be like either the unbelieving false teachers or the Corinthian believers who, who've been poisoned, God. Lord, let us walk in your spirit and not in the flesh. Help us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at this time... <clears throat> We're going to be moving to our, the Lord's table, our time of communion. And as we do, uh, the worship team's going to...